0: So I realized in this moment that we designed the service all wrong because I don't know how to follow that cuteness. So I'm sorry that you have to endure me after experiencing just the joy and the creativity and all the cuteness of the kids as they sing and celebrate Christmas with us. But I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, having the kids join us today is just a good reminder of joy. There's something about just the excitement, the energy, the exuberance that they have around Christmas that I think is a good reminder for us. I think one of the the tragedies of Christmas is that as adults, there's so many things that can potentially just suck the joy right out of Christmas, right? For our kids, they're anticipating time together with family, they're anticipating the celebration of opening presents around the tree. But often as an adult, on the other side of that, you feel maybe additional financial pressure to provide that Christmas for your family. We oftentimes feel the pressure of uh, all of the extra preparations that go into maybe hosting family for a Christmas dinner or traveling to see family for Christmas. And so in, in all of the extra things that come with it, sometimes in adulthood, all we feel is the tension and the pressures and the stresses, everything else that surrounds Christmas. And if we're not careful, the joy gets sucked right out of the moment. And so I I think it's really appropriate this morning to take a deep breath, to reflect on the season that's in front of us, and to really understand this concept of joy. Uh, Because I think joy is not just a fundamental concept to the Advent season, but I think joy is a fundamental concept to the Christian faith. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann he says that joy is unique. And in the way it's experienced in Christianity. He says fundamentally, Christianity is a religion of joy. As we joyfully celebrate the God who met us in the midst of our brokenness, and as we joyfully celebrate the God who redeems and transforms all wrongs. So I think it's vital then for un- us to understand what is joy. So I want to approach this through three fundamental questions. I want to ask the question what is joy? I want to ask the question, where does our joy come from? How how do we cultivate a life of joy? And then I want to ask this question, how do we live outwardly a joyful life? Because I think joy is not just an internal emotion. I think joy is to fundamentally change how we live on a day-to-day level. So let's dive into this. What is joy? I think fundamentally joy is an inner disposition of delight in the soul that results from living in the peace and hope that comes from being in a right relationship with God. Let me say that again. I think joy is an inner disposition of delight in the soul that results from living in peace and hope that come from being in right relationship with God. So let's break this down a little bit. Joy is an inner disposition of delight deep in the soul. And the first thing I want us to understand about joy is that joy is deeper than, than happiness, Happiness often centers around an emotional response to good circumstances. So when circumstances are good, we respond to something by saying, this makes me happy, and we experience happiness as an emotional response. On the other side of this, when circumstances are challenging or difficult, we might experience sadness. And so that disposition of happy or sad depends on circumstantially, often what's happening around us. I want to suggest to you this morning that joy is something deeper, that joy is not rooted in the circumstantial happenings of life, but it's deep down in the core of who we are, we can experience this sense of rightness, this sense of peace, this sense of hope that results in joy because of being rooted in a right relationship with Jesus. And so joy does not depend on what happens to us, but joy is a settled matter at the core of our being. So here I think is a wrong picture of joy. Sometimes when we think of joy, we picture somebody who has a sort of naive optimism. And so what we imagine is that if you live in joy, that we must look past the suffering and sadness of the world and just pretend to be happy. And all of us have, we've met people that have that, Ridiculous sort of naive optimism, right? Maybe, maybe it's that person you get to work on a Monday morning at 6 a.m. and there's a coworker who's always like, good morning, it's a beautiful day in December in South Dakota and zero degrees. And you're thinking, I haven't had coffee yet. Why are you talking to me, right? And I, the Bible's so practical. Proverbs 27 says, if you greet your neighbor with a loud and cheerful voice in the morning, it'll be received as a curse. And to that I say, amen, right? <laughs> So, so joy, is not, it's not a naive optimism that says, oh, I have to look past the suffering and pretend to be okay. No, it's not that at all. I think joy is the settled disposition of, of the soul in which we can simultaneously experience sadness and happiness, and yet deeper underneath that, still experience joy. Let me flesh out what I mean by this. I remember when uh, Lauren and I got pregnant with our first child whole new rodeo, right? I'm, I'm naive to this whole thing. I'm learning as we go. We're taking parenting classes. And, and there's two distinct moments of terror that I remember, right? The one is when finding out we were pregnant and going, okay, how do, how do I do this? Like, there's so much that I need to learn. And then I remember when it was to- go time, like we're driving to the hospital. I remember thinking, okay, like life's about to change in a very big way. And I remember telling Lauren, I said, listen, you know, I feel like in the movies, they always show, you know, like the man just breaking down in tears and being really emotional said, I have no idea what I'm going to feel. So in the moment, I just need you to know, like, if, I, if I'm not crying, like, it doesn't mean I'm not moved. I just, I don't know how I'm going to respond. But let me tell you, when that moment comes, it was the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. And I, I was a total wreck, right? I'm just bawling in the corner. like This is a baby. My life is going to change. And it's great, right? There's this intense feeling of joy right? You see this beautiful little child, and suddenly there's this moment. It's, it's, it's a feeling that's hard to put words to. Now, fast forward a week later, I have this other distinct moment of sitting on the edge of my bed with my head in my hands. I hadn't slept in, in like, days, right? And I remember thinking, and I, I might have even said this to my wife, which if I did, it was a mistake. I said, what did we do? <laughs> I've never been so tired. Like my body is physically shutting down and there's a tiny human screaming in my ear, right? And it's this moment where I experience in a new way the challenges. Like, yes, parenthood is a joyful thing. And then there's this moment of like, oh, like there's going to be some unique challenges that I wasn't aware of. And in that moment, even though it's a frustrating and, and just hard moment underneath that, there's, there's still joy. There's simultaneously the frustration and the challenge, but joy. Now, on the other extreme, a week ago, I flew home for my grandmother's funeral. And my grandmother, she lived a long and a good life. But you're never prepared for that moment, Right? And my grandma was the one that uh, when I had a break from Christmas for college or, or Easter or whatever, my grandma lived close to where I went to school, so I would pick her up and we would spend two hours in the car, just me and grandma, right? I subjected her to my taste in music, which she just happily obliged, right? Like, oh, this is different, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so like in, in, in those college years, I got really close to my grandmother, and so in this moment, when I flew home for her funeral, and, and there's the, the, the final closure of, of seeing her body in the casket, like, it was a moment of intense grief. And yet underneath this grief, underneath what I'm feeling and experiencing in that moment, there's a profound sense of joy, because my grandma loved Jesus. And she was no longer suffering. She was now healed and whole. And she was reunited with my grandfather that she missed dearly. And she's walking with Jesus. And church, there's this juxtaposition of intense grief and sorrow and mourning. And yet underneath that, there's this joy because Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection has so dramatically transformed how I experience death that even though I'm experiencing grief, underneath it is joy. And and I think this is the beautiful mystery of the Christian faith. Because of the redemptive transformation of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, joy can be the defining feature of how we experience even difficult things. So joy is not a naive optimism that overlooks suffering. Joy in Jesus is, is a disposition of delight in the soul that keeps us rooted and anchored even in the midst of difficult things. The theologian Karl Barth said it this way, He says, to be joyful is to expect that life will reveal itself as God's gift of grace. I love that because it says to be joyful is to wake up each day with the anticipation that this life that I've been given, this moment will unfold as a beautiful gift of God's grace. And so what joy causes us to do is it causes us to step back, to look at the life that we've been given and receive it and recognize that everything you have is a beautiful gift of God's grace. How many days do we wake up and look at the opportunities in front of us and think, "God, I'm excited to see what your gift of grace, how it will manifest itself in this day that you've given me and blessed me with." That is a fundamental disposition of joy. So in, in the season of advent, I think it's particularly appropriate for the church to pause, to step back and to reflect as we light the candles. We lit the candle of, of, of hope and we lit the candle of love, and today we lit the candle of joy. And it's a fundamental moment for us to step back and to remember the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. The word advent comes from the Latin word adventus that simply means coming or arrival. And it's a moment where we sort of hold our collective breath and we remember what it must have been like to anticipate the arrival of Jesus, to anticipate the arrival of the Messiah, of the Savior who would set all things right. And so when we look at the story of advent, seen most clearly in the Gospels. We, we come upon this moment like Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And when we pick up in this moment, there's some shepherds who were out watching their flocks, and Luke says this in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, "...and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified." But the angel said to them, do not, bring you, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And there's this beautiful declaration. I love what the angel says. He says, I bring you good news. The word good news there is simply gospel. The gospel is good news. He says that will bring great joy for all people. And I love this. This message of the gospel is one that brings not just joy, but great joy. And not just for the shepherds, but it's great joy for all people. And this is a fundamental shift in all of reality. With the arrival of Jesus, everything fundamentally changes. And and here's what I, I want to suggest to you this morning. I, I think that Christmas without Jesus is doubly depressing. You take Jesus out of Christmas, think about what happens. If we remove Jesus from Christmas, what we have is an idol of American consumerism that reveals how shallow our values are. If you remove Jesus from Christmas, what happens is we put together a wish list of things that we want, and it's things that are going to revolutionize how we live, right? A 65-inch TV will change my life. A KitchenAid mixer will change how I bake bread. All of these things will fundamentally change life. And then two weeks after Christmas, that's normal. Right? We we get used to it. And so when we take Jesus out of Christmas, all that's left is the skeleton of, of a false hope in American consumerism. But when we bring Jesus into Christmas, we recognize that in Jesus is the fundamental grounds of all of reality. And with his arrival, everything fundamentally changes. And the angel says, this is good news that brings great joy for all people. So here's the question. What is this good news? And why does it mean great joy for me? And why does it mean great joy for you? What is this? In John's gospel, John begins to flesh out for us the beauty of what this good news is. In John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist says this. says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that church is the fundamental basis of the good news of what the angel was proclaiming in Luke chapter two, that Jesus is the lamb of God who comes to undo and take away and to atone for all of the sin that's present. So here's this question. Where does our joy come from? I want to propose three things. Number one, that our joy is rooted in the redemptive work of Jesus and the hope of what he will continue to do. Our joy is rooted in the fundamental hope of Jesus and what he'll continue to do. Because what scripture tells us is that all have sinned, and to sin means that we have rejected God. It means we have chosen our own path. We have chosen our own plan. We have rebelled against him. We're not following the law of God and the way that he's called us to live If fundamentally in relationship with him. Scripture tells us we've all sinned. And because of that sin, the wages of sin is death. Scripture tells us that in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. And so to reject God is to reject the very foundation of all of life. And Scripture tells us that we've all gone there. And the beauty of the Christian faith is that even when we lived in sin, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold the Lamb of God who will be a sacrifice for us taking away the sin of the world. Church, that is the fundamental root of all joy that so we've been given a gift that is so amazing that we can barely even comprehend the magnitude of a God who saw our plight and while, while we were still sinners, sent his son Jesus as a baby to succeed where Adam failed and to die as a sacrifice for us. And so fundamentally, our joy comes from the redemptive work of Jesus and the transformation that he brings Elsewhere in the gospel of John, John chapter one, verse nine, Pastor Steve read part of this last week, but I want to come back to it because I think it says so much about where our joy is found. John chapter one, verse nine says this, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John is talking about Jesus here. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And what I love about this is John says in picture a dark world. So what comes to my mind when I think about this is when we go home to see our families around Christmas, we, we often try to drive through the night. And, and the theory is the kids will sleep and then Lauren and I will trade off. Now, she was in first hour, so I can tell the story. So here's what normally happens, right? <laughs> we, we start our trip and Lauren's like, I'll take the first shift. I'll drive from like eight to midnight. So she gets in the driver's seat, 845, she's doing this, Right? So it's like, you put in a good 45 minutes, why don't you pull over and I'll drive through the night, right? And so invariably, everybody else falls asleep. And so it's just me and the interstate and those two little lines. And it's like hours of like, I can't even turn on music because everyone's asleep, right? So it's just me and I'm thinking, and the night is so dark and the drive is so long, right? And then there's this moment when the horizon begins to turn gray and the sun comes up. And honestly, my disposition just changes, and there's something about that beautiful sunrise and I'm usually terribly exhausted and ready to, to change the, the driving situation, but there's that beautiful moment when the world comes to life again and the light dawns and it just, it's rejuvenating. And I love, there's this picture in John of, of a dark and a broken world and it's like this bright horizon of hope as, as, as Jesus, the light dawns in, in creation. And in this broken world, Jesus comes and brings light to those who are in spiritual darkness and he brings truth and he brings understanding. And yet John says the tragedy is many people haven't received him. But then John says, but to those who have received Jesus, he says he gives the right to be called, for them to be called children of God. So I want to suggest to you our joy is found, number one, in the redemptive work of Jesus. Number two, our joy is found in our identity as children of God. That the God of all creation, he looks at you and he uniquely created you. He uniquely designed you. And the God of all creation looks at you and he desires a relationship with you. And the God of all creation is delighted when we turn back to him by the grace of God and open up our lives to receive the transformation that he's offering, to receive the forgiveness that he so freely gives because of the life, death, and resurrection of his son. There's something beautiful for me when when I go home to my parents' house. You know, I'm in my mid-30s, well into the adulthood responsibilities, but there's something about when I go home, being in my parents' house, there's like an extra protective covering between me and the world. And even though it's just for a few days around Christmas, there's something about being home where... I'm not fulfilling a role. I'm not trying to be or do anything. I'm just myself. And my parents just love me for who I am. There's nothing to prove. There's nothing to strive for. And it's a moment, honestly, where for me, I just feel, I feel a weight is kind of lifted. And there's a freedom in my identity of, of not trying to do or be anything else than, than who I am. And I think there's something beautiful about this reality that the God of all creation says when you enter relationship with him through his son, Jesus, he gives you the right. You can look at the God of all creation and call him father. And there's a welcoming into his arms relationally. And and I think this fundamentally changes our identity. We spend so much time and energy trying to prove ourselves, trying to acquire power and position and authority, trying to achieve something. But, But God looks at us and there's nothing to achieve. There's nothing to prove. He has fundamentally spoken the truth of our identity, that we are his beloved children. And the freedom that that brings, I think, brings with it a deep sense of incredible joy. That no matter what culture, no matter that what, what my position, power, authority might say about me, the God of all creation says, you are my beloved. And he desires to be in a relationship with us. So our joy comes from the redemptive work of Jesus. Our joy comes from our identity as children of God. And, and fundamentally, the big picture idea is that joy comes from being right, rightly related to God if we ask this question, how do I cultivate a life of joy? I, I want to tell you that the answer is not some list of four or five practices that you can do to be joyful. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is present in your life, when we turn back to God, when we yield our life to him and we say, Jesus, I want you to transform and redeem me, the fruit, what the presence of the Holy Spirit brings in your life is love and joy. When we give our lives to Jesus, our lives begin to bear fruit in love and in joy because that's who we are. We are being renewed, as Paul said, in knowledge, in the image of our creator, we are reflecting the glory of who God has created us to be. If you want to know and experience joy, it's found fundamentally and only in relationship with Jesus Christ. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann says it this way. He was reflecting on the story of the prodigal son, and it's a story in the gospel of Luke where the son comes to his father and he basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He runs away. He spends it all. When this wayward son comes home, he expects his father to be angry. And instead, what he finds is that his father joyfully runs to him and embraces him and is just happy that his son is home. And in that moment, the prodigal son exhibits this idea of repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance is the word teshuva. And it literally means to turn or to return. It's the idea of coming home. And when the prodigal son returns home, the father is overjoyed. And so Jürgen Moltmann says this. He says, to repent means to join in the rejoicing of God. That repentance is the very joy of God. I love that. When by the grace of God, we return home and open ourselves up to a relationship with the God of all creation, we join in and experience the very joy and the rejoicing of the God of all creation. So here's this other question. So if joy is found in relationship with God, being rightly related to him, experiencing the joy of transformation, here's this other question I want us to wrestle with. How do we respond in joy? How, how do we live a joyful life? Because here's, can, can I give you my pastoral concern about Advent? My pastoral concern is this. It's this season in the church calendar where we come and we talk about love, joy, peace, hope, My concern is that we tame those down to nice sentimental values. I like talking about joy. I like talking about love and peace and hope. Those are great things. But my concern is that we don't place them in the context of the Christian faith, that we look at them as nice sort of sentimental ideas. But listen, church, the very concept of joy is not just a great sentimental feel-good moment. The joy of life lived in relationship with Jesus should fundamentally change how we live. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we are called to live a joy-filled life, to respond in joy to, to the world around us. So I want to suggest two things to you this morning. Number one, I want to suggest to you that to live a life of joy is to live in a way in which we practice redemptive presence. Again, the theologian Jürgen Moltmann says it this way. He says, joy is enduring and it puts its mark on one's attitude of living. In other words, when when our life is fundamentally transformed and redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ in us, we look different. The enduring joy that abides even when our circumstances are challenging, that enduring joy forever changes how we live. Let, Let me read for you Isaiah 61. It was mentioned in the video this morning, but I think it's so key to this. In Isaiah 61, the prophet Isaiah says this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Jesus in Luke chapter four, when he reads this scroll in the, in the synagogue, Jesus proclaims, today in your hearing, this word is fulfilled. Jesus claimed this as his very mission. Jesus claimed to be the one who brings this passage to its fullness and its fulfillment. And did you notice what he says? He says, for those of you who are are broken, for those of you who are wounded and brokenhearted, who are living in captivity to to things that are not of Jesus, to those of you who, who find yourself in a place of mourning, he says, where you were broken and wounded and mourning and in grief, Jesus is going to exchange despair for rejoicing. He is going to exchange mourning for joy. And the beauty of the Christian faith is that there is no situation or no life that's beyond the redemptive possibilities of the transforming, redeeming work of Jesus. And I love at the end of this passage, it says, they, those very people who were wounded and broken and in captivity, they will be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That our, as our lives are transformed and redeemed, people begin to see God's goodness and God's glory and his righteousness and how we live. And not only that, but did you catch this? It says, they, those very people whose lives have been restored, they will go back to places that have been devastated, and they will be agents of healing and restoration. Okay, let's get real practical with this. For some of us, Christmas means entering difficult family situations. It means going to that relative's house and having that conversation with that difficult family member. And maybe it just means a a family environment that just feels toxic, that's not healthy. And the question is, so often I think we enter those moments with resentment, and it brings back old wounding, my question is how can we enter those moments as the redeemed and transformed people of God, asking God, God, would you do something in this moment? Would you bring glory to your name in this moment? God, would you do something redemptive in this moment? And we enter that moment with a mindset of, God, how can I bear witness to your grace in this place that so desperately needs you? Or, or maybe it looks like a work environment where uh, people love to sit around and talk about how incompetent the manager is right? And it's so easy to enter those conversations like, can you believe the decision they made? Are they they even competent, right? And it just, it's so easy to get pulled into that conversation. What would it look like if we had a redemptive joy-filled presence that instead of joining that conversation, what if we said something like, maybe we should just write a quick note of encouragement. I mean, how, how much weight do you think is on our manager's shoulders to make decisions that affect so many people? And, and for many of us, even that suggestion that fills us with terror because then it's like, well, then I'm going to be the holy roller that people look at. It's like, he's too good to join in that conversation, right? But, but I love the way, again, Jurgen Moltmann says this. He says, compassion is the other side of living joy. We don't accuse God because there's suffering in the world. Rather, we protest in the name of God against suffering and those who cause it. Church, what I want to suggest to you today is that to live with joy is to protest against sin, it's to protest against suffering, and it's to stand in difficult, broken places and bear witness to the transforming, redemptive work of God's grace. We can talk about grace and joy in here, but if we don't live it out there, we are not walking in gospel truth. You want to protest suffering? Don't write a diatribe on social media. Stand in that difficult place and be a redemptive agent of God's grace with flesh and blood people where it matters. Step into your broken and toxic family and pray and intercede that the Holy Spirit would do transforming work in this Christmas season in the hearts and lives of those people. The other side of joy is compassion. It's not accusing God because they're suffering, but it's as the people of God protesting against suffering by bearing witness to God's transforming, redeeming capabilities. The second thing I want to suggest to you in a response of joy is rejoicing. And I just, I I thought a lot about that word this week. I don't know. I didn't look at the Greek and Hebrew for rejoicing, but it just struck me as I thought about it. To rejoice in my mind is, is to experience joy again. To go back to those things and reflect on what God has done in my life and to just recall those and to be joyful again in the presence of God. Karl Barth, a theologian, said it this way. He says, to be joyful means to look for opportunities for gratitude. I love that. To be joyful means to look for opportunities for gratitude. When was the last time that you woke up on a random morning and you thought, man, I wonder I wonder today what I'm going to get to be thankful for? I, I'll tell you, for me personally, this is something I, I've struggled with. And, and my wife, been, she's been lovingly challenging me in this because my tendency, when I, when I get overwhelmed or stressed out, my, my tendency is to look at all the things that are broken and all the things that are wrong and go, okay, like I need to be intentional here. I need to focus on this thing. And I can really easily get trapped in a cycle of negativity, right? That's part of my brokenness. And I feel like my ability to fix it is where my worth lies. So I need to step in and I need to be able to, to to fix it. And I need to be able to, to, to do something, but I'm all, all I'm seeing is the negative. I think in that way, I miss the joy of what God wants me to experience. I think there's something about waking up and stepping into a new day, mindful of of this idea that we're expecting life to unfold as a gift of God's grace saying, what could I be thankful for today? What can I anticipate that God might do in this beautiful day that he's given me as a gift? And Isaiah 61, as the prophet continues writing in verse 10, he says this, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. This is verse 10 my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And if nothing else, going back to this place to say, God, my soul rejoices in you. I am overwhelmed that when I was living in open rebellion against God, he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And to to rejoice is is to rejoice, to recall those things and to celebrate them anew. So I want to leave you with two actions this week. Number one, I want you to reflect on this question. How can you be a redemptive presence of joy in the lives of others this week? If you're not sure where to start, I suggest that you just start in prayer asking God, God, how can I be a redemptive presence of joy in the lives of others? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a sensitivity to the context and situations that you're in every day. And I think with that mindset of of awareness, you're going to be surprised at the things that God brings to mind. Number two, I want you to think about this. What are you thankful for that you can express joyful gratitude to God about this week? So every day, I just encourage you to wake up and in the morning, just think about those two questions. God, how can I be a redemptive presence of joy in the lives of others this week? And God, how can I rejoice and be grateful for what you've done in my life today? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this moment where we could experience uh, the joy of Advent and just the excitement and the energy of the kids who were singing this morning. And God, I I thank you for the truth of your word that reminds us that, that true joy is found in relationship with you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would live our lives rooted in relationship with you, that we would experience the hope and the freedom that you're a God who gives us the right through Jesus to be called your sons and your daughters. So I I pray, Father, this week, as we leave this moment and as we step into whatever this week holds for us, God, I, I pray that we would be a people who rejoice in your saving work, who rejoice in what you've done for us. And I pray, God, that we would be a people who seek to be a redemptive presence of joy in the lives of others this week. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and grace for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Two quick things for you. If you want somebody to pray with you or for you, uh, right through those doors, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you, to pray over you, to pray for you. Um, also, as we just experienced joy as, as a church body this morning, we have free cookies, right? Cookies always bring joy for me. So if you go out these doors in the great room uh, through the foyer, free cookies, uh, just enjoy spending time together. Uh, go in the grace of God this week.